The uh, church is more than just Sunday mornings. It's more than just a building that we gather in. Church is you, actually. In scripture, it's, it's translated you, you, you folks, the people of God, engaging in life and in ministry together. And, you know, uh, one of the things that uh, I've been known to say over the years is we don't just do Sundays, we do life together. And we engage in the trenches with each other. And, you know, if you don't have anybody else in your corner, you can know that there are, there are people known as the church who are in your corner. Um, brothers and sisters, our women are going to be gathering this coming weekend for a very special time. And uh, Kaylee is going to come and share briefly about that with us. Um, ben, we're going to use this microphone for that, if that's okay. Good morning. So this is our last Sunday before we have the IF gathering this weekend. And I just wanted to come up one last time and share with you a little bit about the IF gathering. And if you're on the fence, this is your invitation to just jump and to just sign up today. There's going to be several women here this weekend. If, if you have never heard of IF Gathering, um, this is a women's conference put on by Jenny Allen. If you're familiar with Jenny Allen, we're big fans here. Um, she has lots of books, um, all kinds of things. But it's, it's a conference hosted live in Dallas. And we get to view it here along with thousands of other women um, well, I guess millions of other women across the globe. Um, there's thousands of other IF locals happening. So we're called an IF local and we get to tune in live with what's happening in Dallas. So there's gonna be um, various speakers happening throughout the day Friday night and Saturday. There's gonna be worship. Um, so here are the details. We've had a couple of questions, so I'm just gonna answer all the questions here. Seven o'clock is when we start here. We're gonna have live worship, which is awesome. So from seven to 7.30, we're gonna have live worship here before we tune into the live stream. And then we go until 10.30 at night. I know that's past a lot of people's bedtime, but I promise you it's going to be worth it. And if it is just too late for you, we have a really comfortable room outside or <laughs> you can head out. Um, it's a really relaxed weekend. So I don't want you guys to feel like you can't commit to the whole thing. You're not gonna come to any part of it. If you can come for an hour, just come for an hour. It's going to be worth it. Saturday, we're here from 10 a.m. to 5 p.m., same thing all kinds of different sessions in here, worship. We have breakout sessions. So when you sign up online, this QR code, if you're signing up right now, it takes you right to um, the sign up. You're paying for the conference there. If the charge is an issue, we are happy to help you out with that. But you're gonna sign up for a breakout session online. That's for you to watch later at home. We're gonna offer five breakout sessions here that you will sign up for on Saturday. So whatever you sign up for online, that's for you to watch later. We'll have a different five options here that will be throughout the church. Um, I think that's all the details. We're gonna have charcuterie on Friday night. Andrew mentioned that last week, delicious. I almost put a picture of it up there because that would entice me if nothing else. Um, and we're gonna have breakfast and lunch on Saturday, snacks all day long. So grab a friend or meet a new friend. We just want you guys to be here and see how God is going to move. I know it's going to be a wonderful weekend. Um, if you have any other questions, you can find Britta or me after the service or give us a call or an email. Um, I think that's it. Last thing, though, we do need some help blowing up balloons. And 
Otherwise, Katie Graham and I are gonna hyperventilate after the service. So if you could help us, even if you blow up one balloon, they're all on the pew um, under the chalkboard, and then there's trash bags. So blow up a balloon, put it in the trash bag, and we'll do the rest. And lastly, nothing to do with if gathering, but if you are a kid, Jesus is here. We already know that. But he is here and he is hiding this morning. If you don't know what I'm talking about, you can grab a paper out in the worship or in the gallery. I'll be out there for you. That's all I'm going to say. Jesus is here. That's a Jesus good, I could do a sermon on that. Jesus is here. Can you see him? There's an old song that we used to sing called, uh, He's Here in Plain View, right? Uh, Jesus is here. He's here in plain view. So before we, we dive into the word this morning, I want to ask a couple of questions. What are some things uh, that you would identify as sin? I'm not giving you a list of things to engage in. I'm just talking about what are some things that you would recognize as sin? Don't all share at once. Lying. Lying. That's, yeah, that's a great, that's a great spot to start. Lying. I heard something, but I couldn't hear what it was. Hoarding? It's called stealing food. Hoarding, yes. Perfect. That would be classified as sin also. What else? Pride. Someone said pride. Yeah, what else? Envy. Envy. Yeah. Worry. Yeah. What else? <laughs> Not obeying your mom and dad. Yeah. That's 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 great. Stealing. I think I heard stealing, didn't I? What else? Not obeying. Yes. What else? Maybe something from in this area here. What's it, one more time? Taking a life. Yeah. If you want some help, I'm, it sounds like we're kind of working through some of the big ten. Right? Thou shalt not commit. Thou shalt not. If you put something... After that in the Bible, then you should probably, that's probably classified as sin, right? Let's not commit murder. What else? I don't know if I heard idolatry or adultery, but both of those things. A two for one, yeah, we'll call it a two for one. Yeah. Sometimes adultery is idolatry, actually. Uh, I think I heard God's name. Gossiping, yes, gossiping, taking the Lord's name in vain. I'm adding one to it based on what I thought I heard. Yeah, gossiping. Lust. The lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, the pride of life. Sin, uh, my friend Steve uh, has a, a, a compact definition. It says it's anything that grieves the heart of God. Now, my next question is maybe a little bit more personal. What's your, what's your go-to sin? 
you didn't say we were going to do this publicly. <laughs> Maybe it's escapism. Maybe it's just trying to escape whatever is present. Maybe it's, maybe it's greed. Maybe your go-to sin is pride. You want to be number one. And you've got everybody else in the world fooled, thinking that you don't want that, but that's really your heart desire. The Bible says this about sin. It says in Romans that the wages of sin, or the cost of sin, is what? The wages of sin is death, right? And there's a penalty for sin. When you read the Bible and you start off in the beginning, you find that it was actually sin that separated man from God's presence. And God said the punishment for that sin was death. That narrative carries throughout the entirety of the Bible. That's nothing new. I mean, we could go on and on about what sin is, a lot of times people, people do ask that question quite a bit. I don't know if Tom gets this question as often, but I do get the question, I mean, it's, it's pretty frequent. People want to know if what they're doing is sinful. We want to know if we're, if we're living a life that is in conflict with what God has said is good or where God would have us to live. The Bible says that um, the place for those who have not been reconciled to God is what? Hell. Eternal separation from God in a place the Bible describes as hell. And the only thing that puts you there is sin. That's it. So if we could just do away with sin, we would have eternal companionship and be in the presence of God forever. Let your mind go to this spot for just a moment of what would life be like if there was no sin? Can you imagine that? Now, while you're daydreaming for a moment, don't let your mind go to like your, your magical place. That's not it. But it's a place where there is no sin. And there's no more effect of sin. Lent, this season of preparation in the church, is uh, positioned between Ash Wednesday and Easter Sunday. And it's a period of 40 days in line with another 40 days. Well, 40 days shows up quite a few times in the Bible, right? Quite a few different times we hear the, the word 40 associated with days and then with years with the Israelites, right? But um, Jesus was led by the Holy Spirit into the wilderness for 40 days. Into this space of preparation. And in order for that preparation to take place, and this is something that I've been chewing on a little bit, Jesus needed to isolate from every other distraction. Sometimes sin looks like really good stuff. Sometimes sin comes in the form of your friends who tell you what you're doing is really okay when the scriptures have made it really clear that what you're doing is not okay. Jesus needed to be alone with God. 
for a season of preparation. Last week, Andrew uh, did a wonderful job inviting us on this journey up the mountain. He divided rightly, as we say, the word of God. He invited us to come up the mountain where we have that mountaintop experience where we want to stay, right? Everybody wants to pitch a tent up there and stay there forever. But Jesus wouldn't leave the disciples on the mountaintop. In fact, he took them back down off the mountain where life is lived. How many of you went and engaged in the community, changed because of the message? Don't raise your hands right now. Because of the message last week. Andrew challenged you to go and take that experience that you have had with God into the valley where life is lived so that you can change the world or at least do your part. I know because I worshipped online some with you last week. Melody challenged us on Ash Wednesday that if what you're preparing for externally isn't for, for Lent, typically the church will give up stuff, right? I have a, a friend who used to always give up Brussels sprouts at, at, during Lent. And I'm like, Brussels sprouts? <laughs> you don't eat Brussels sprouts. Well, I know, it's easy to give up. I'm like, huh, interesting. But if what you're giving up externally isn't shaped by what is being given up internally, it's pointless, it's just religion. That will do you absolutely no good. It's like the person who gives up Brussels sprouts and never eats them, right? But if for a period of time you've discerned, Lord, what would you have us do? What would you have me do? Lent can be this beautiful season. We're going to look today at the scriptures, but before we do that, I want to uh, share just a couple other thoughts, and then I want to invite you to pray for me. Is anybody still following what's happened in Wilmore, Kentucky? No? Eh, well, there was an awakening that happened there where a large group of people, a very large group of people, experienced the presence of God. Now, like any good awakening or any good revival movement in, in history, what comes with that is a lot of criticism, a lot of skepticism, a lot of, well, we'll know the fruit of this later, right? There's a lot of stuff happening. But the one thing that absolutely happened is there's a whole lot of people who had an experience with God like they haven't had before. And that has tremendous potential. My prayer has been really simple for us that we would be impacted by that awakening. That you would be impacted by that awakening. That I would be impacted by that awakening. Because I believe when we're impacted by an awakening of God, we start to look differently. We start to live differently. The grip that sin has on our life is loosened. And we experience what Paul records as the freedom in Galatians 5, right? It's for freedom that Christ came to set you free. Well, first you've got to realize that you're bound says that the, so, the sin that so easily entangles, right? If you've ever dealt with multiflora rose, and you know exactly what I'm talking about. Those suckers suck you right in, don't they? They got little barbs and they hook you and then it just gets deeper and deeper and it's problematic. And it hurts. Well, for today we're going to talk about if you fall down. And it's not so much if, more so it's 
a question of when. Because my guess is you left here last Sunday feeling the presence of the Lord and empowered by God to go. My experience with people is that oftentimes they navigate sin shortly thereafter. And we're going to look to David this morning and we're going to preach from the Psalms, which we haven't done in a while. We're going to launch from a Psalm though today. So if you would uh, pray for me, I would appreciate that. Holy God, thank you for being gracious to us and for being present with us even in our broken and depraved state. Holy God, thank you that you have not left us alone and that you have provided a way forward. And God, as, as we look to your scriptures for answers, I pray that we would allow your Holy Spirit, who began a good work in us, to see that through to completion today, so that we might be the people of God on ministry and mission and service to the one true King, so that you might be glorified in Jesus' name. Amen. I gave you some examples earlier of sin, and I want to uh, follow that up with something. Um, you know, it's... Please don't be deceived and think that you don't struggle with sin. You do. The issue that you have is a sin problem. And I can't say that any nicer, I can't say that any meaner, it's just the reality of what it is. The issue that you have is a sin problem. And that sin problem is going to constantly be nagging at you. I also can promise you that God has provided a solution to the problem, but it's a constant not like once in a great while thing. It's a constant engagement with the living God to be freed from the tyranny of sin. We're going to look at three uh, kind of key things today. The first is going to be we're going to look at the seriousness of sin. We're going to look at the gift of grace. And then finally, we're going to look at the reality of forgiveness. And to launch us, we're going to look at the man who was identified a man after God's own heart. It's the only person in all of Scripture who received that title from God. And who was that? Who was the man in the Bible that was referred to as a man after God's own heart? David. And you can read that in 1 Samuel. So 1 and 2 Samuel tell the story of King David, boy David, to King David, uh, you can read that narrative in 1 Samuel, I think it's chapter 10, but you can read where God says this is a man after God's own heart. The only person in all of scripture. He was a young man when that proclamation was made about him. Uh, secondly, in the world of scripture study, it's important, I'm going to give you a couple of key things, okay? So this is me just giving you a couple of nuggets of gold. One of the things that I oftentimes say is a text without a context is a People, I clearly don't say this enough. A biblical text without some historical and cultural context is a pretext for anything you want it to be. Okay, and what I mean by that is when we read the Bible, we have to understand, you got to do a little bit of digging to understand who it is that was speaking, who it is that they were speaking to, and what was going on in the culture around it. Otherwise, we get all these wacky, crazy ideas of what is truth and it's actually way off the mark. The Bible was written at a very specific time and place. 
It is also a timeless work. But you need to understand the context to understand the depth and the breadth and the width and the height and all that stuff about the scripture and about who God is. When we have a better understanding of who God is, it forms us into a better version of who God would desire us to be. Second thing is uh, the Psalms. Does anybody else love the Psalms? Yeah, okay, about five of you. The rest of you need to read the Psalms a little bit more. These are the scriptures that, that are, are often quoted, right? Think, what is one of the most quoted Psalms in all of? The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside. You got to say it in the old English. Leadeth me beside still waters. He restoreth my soul. Right? He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. When you're going through that dark valley, this psalm is a, is a sure-footed way to know that God is present with you. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of my enemies, and you alone, O God, anoint my head with oil, my cup runneth over. And surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. And then I will dwell in the house of the Lord God Almighty forever. When you are going through your darkest hour, Scripture is your lifeboat. Scripture moves you from what you think to what you can believe. And there is a difference between those two things. Belief is sure-footed. So in the world of, of the Psalms, they're written with different genres in mind and different like literary composition in mind. Now I'm you know, thinking to yourselves, I'm losing some of you. Stay with me. When we understand if it's, if it's um, allegory or if it's a psalm of praise, that helps us to understand a little bit more what God is trying to say to us. And people use different writing techniques at different times, right? Do we agree on that? If I was, uh, baking, uh, if I was baking cookies, you would understand that, that when I said a pinch of salt, I literally meant what? A pinch of salt. Because of the context of the recipe and what we're doing, right? Well, if you were reading someone's obituary, I heard this analogy and it was great. And it said they were a pinch of salt. You would know it didn't really mean to... Context is really important. Psalm 32 is um, understood to be written by David, and it was written um, after he had sinned. Well, he had sinned lots of times in his life, but after one of the big ones. Do you remember what David, what David did that was highly identified? I mean, there was lots of things, actually. We could do lots of sermons on the sin of King David. David's big sin was that he had seen a woman who was beautiful bathing on the rooftop. And David said to himself, this is Pastor Joe's paraphrase, I want that. And I'm king. And I can have that. So David summoned for this woman to come to the castle. And in those days when the king summoned someone to do something, what did you do? You did it. 
This wasn't one of those things where you get to like say, oh, I don't know about that king. I'm not sure about that. Her name was Bathsheba. You can read the story in 2 Samuel. And Bathsheba came to, the, came to the castle. And what did David do with Bathsheba? I mean, this isn't, you don't have to let your minds wander. David had sex with Bathsheba. There were multiple problems with this. One is David was married, actually, to lots of women. Two, Bathsheba was married to a man named Uriah, who fought for King David. After he had sex with Bathsheba, King David said to himself, "Uh uh-oh, because she conceived. Now the sin that David committed with her was going to be exposed. That's a problem, isn't it? So he did what any good king would do, and he said, hey, to his right-hand person, hey, my buddy Uriah, you know, what, you know Uriah? He's a good commander in the army. Send him out in the very front line of the army where nobody survives. And make sure that there's an accident. And Uriah dies. I don't know about you, but sin is serious business. Very, very serious. Not only did David, who by the way had already been titled the man after God's own heart, right? Okay, we clear on that? That was much younger in his life. Not only had David now ruined his life, because of his sin he had ruined Bathsheba's life and the life of his unborn son. Sin is serious business. You don't play with sin. We watched a a video yesterday, a documentary, and it was this tribal community um, outside of the a very active volcano. And I don't know what the stuff was they had. It reminded me of tannerite. But these guys would take this powder, they put it on the ground, and they'd get this giant sledgehammer, and they'd hit it and it'd blow them up. I watched it over and over and over again. I'm like, these people are nuts. Sin is serious business. And sin has to be dealt with. And maybe, maybe you are engaging in grievous sin like David was. And the Bible says really clearly, very, very clearly, you can't, you can't get around this next phrase. That the penalty for sin is death. Not just physical death, but the penalty for sin is also spiritual death in the place known as hell. Now, back up a little bit. David was trying to keep everything secret. Maybe you've engaged in this at times where you've told a little white lie, right? And then to make sure it doesn't get exposed, you tell another little white lie, you tell another little white lie, and another little white lie, and eventually it starts to eat away at you internally. If you know who Jesus is, any sin that you commit actually begins to eat away at you internally. There was a man, a prophet actually, his name was Nathan, who the Lord said to Nathan, go to King David and tell him what he has done. (laughs) Who wants that job? 
This, you, you're not, I'm not making this stuff up, right? This isn't like today. This isn't go and tell Pastor Joe what, what he's done wrong, right? This is go tell King David what he has done wrong in the eyes of God. And he shares a beautiful parable with David about um, a young one and sheep and the, the, the wrong that was done. And David was enraged. And the Bible says in 2 Samuel chapter 12 that it was at that point that Nathan said, this is what you have done. All of a sudden, the sin that David was trying to cover up had been publicly exposed. Sometimes you've experienced this, or maybe you're caught in a lie or something. I had a, a friend one time that was engaged in sexual immorality. And I could preach a sermon on why sexual immorality is so wrong. That's not for today. He was engaged in sexual morality and he was navigating tremendous anxiety. He never had peace. And he longed for peace. They actually talked to me at times about wanting this peace. Until one day, they explained the sin. They confessed the sin that they were engaging in. And their response after that, their response after that was, I have never felt freer in all of my life. Because they internally, it was just gnawing away at them. Because if you know who God is, you know what sin is. And if you do indeed love God, then sin just eats away at you internally. You see, they had exposed the lie. They'd actually committed two sins. One was the lie that they weren't engaging in sexual immorality. Second was the sexual immorality. Once that lie was exposed, they were in a spot where they could receive forgiveness from sin. It's there that we pick up in Psalm 32 with King David. It says, Blessed is he whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man whose sin the Lord does not count against him and in whose spirit is no deceit. I want to be that guy. When I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. You can almost feel, and maybe you have felt, that kind of internal conviction that the Holy Spirit brings when you're caught up in sin. This constant nagging, aching. The only thing I can associate it with is when, when my kids have had leg aches. And like, Dad, I just, my body aches, my bones hurt. Maybe you've experienced that or maybe you are experiencing that. 
Then David says, then I acknowledged my sin to you and did not cover up my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord and you forgave the guilt of my sin. Therefore, let everyone who is godly pray to you while you may be found. Surely when the mighty waters rise, they will not reach him. For you are my hiding place. You will protect me from trouble and surround me with songs of deliverance. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you and watch over you. Do not be like the horse or the mule which have no understanding but must be controlled by bit and bridle or they will not come to you. Many are the woes of the wicked but the Lord's unfailing love surrounds the man who trusts in him. Rejoice in the Lord and be glad, you righteous. Sing all you who are upright in heart. That's the word of God for the people of God. Yeah, we say thanks be to God for that. David had moved through the process of forgiveness and reconciliation. Lent is a period of time when we invite God to work in our lives. Form criticism. Anybody familiar with that language, form criticism? Nobody. Okay, well, this one might fall dead then. Form criticism is uh, what form the psalm is written in. And there's a lot of kind of study that goes into that so we can understand a little bit better. Remember, I, I started off by saying a text without a context is a pretext. Likewise, the psalms are written with, in different forms so you can understand a little bit better what is taking place. Now you're on the same page. Um, it's not real ancient in the, in the world of study. It's maybe 100 years old form criticism. But it's really important when reading the psalms to understand what's taking place. Is this a psalm of thanksgiving? Some would say yes. In our culture, we've oftentimes associated Psalm 32 with a penitent psalm, right? A call to repentance and action. Well, one commentator that I read said this, and uh, he was actually quoting a woman by the name of Beth Tanner. Said that Beth Tanner says that this is a celebration of forgiveness. A celebration of forgiveness. Because David understood the seriousness of his sin and he felt that internally. One of the greatest gifts of our culture right now that's happening in this awakening movement is the confession of sin. That's the testimony over and over and over again coming out of Wilmore. Anybody uh, Ray Stevens fans? No, Wow. Ray Stevens, Ray Stevens wrote a song uh, titled The Day the Squirrel Went Berserk. And the first most righteous church, uh, some of you are like, oh yeah, I remember that song now, uh, right? Went up Sister Betty Lou's skirt and then she started naming names, right? Confession of sin came publicly. What happens when we confess our sin is it takes that which is secret and exposes it. Sin is very serious business. And I want to invite you on the front end of this Lenten journey to ask the Lord like David did. To say, search me and try me, O God. See if there be any iniquity. That's just another word for sin. See if there be any sin within me. Because friends, 
If you have sin in your life, you are separated from God. That's not real popular, is it? That's what the Bible says. A holy God cannot be present with sin. And if you are harboring sin, fast forward with me to Hebrews. Put your finger there on Psalms uh, 20 or 32. Fast forward with me to Hebrews chapter 10. Just briefly. Hebrews chapter 10, verses 26 and 27. says, If we deliberately keep on sinning after we have received the knowledge of the truth, no sacrifice for sins is left. So in other words, if you know that you are engaging in sin and you're not willing to repent of your sins and to stop engaging in sin, there is no sacrifice for sins that is left, but only a fearful expectation of judgment and of raging fire that will consume the enemies of God. The word of God for the people of God. Do we dare say thanks be to God? I cannot stress enough, friends, Sin is serious business. And our culture has built an acceptance to sin. We have fueled the fire. We have said, we have mocked God and said that it's not just God that is holy, but it's we that are the holy ones. We have said that which the Lord has said is detestable is good. And my guess is, like David, you're navigating the internal turmoil. You're experiencing the tension, like my friend, of unconfessed sin because you've been living a double lie. You've been proclaiming that you're this while internally living as this. What about the gift of grace? At just the right time, God came to David through the prophet Nathan and created a space for David to experience forgiveness. Uriah was still dead, his son was still dead. Bathsheba was stained for the rest of her life. But David was able to experience forgiveness from Almighty God. Because the Bible also says that when we confess our sins, that he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. You need to know what it is that you're confessing, though. And after we have confessed our sin and we receive that gift of grace, the Bible says that there is fullness of joy. 
I've met with and talked with lots of people. I've been in ministry now for uh, the better part of 16 years. That's quite a while. When I first went to Asbury, (laughs) they said, look around the room. Three out of 10 of you will be left in seven years. Three out of 10, that's a huge attrition rate. After a huge investment of finances. (laughs) Still the test of time. And one thing I know about the people of Bemis Point Methodist Church is that you do take seriously your faith and you want to take seriously your faith. I've had conversations with many of you that you long to find that peace that surpasses understanding and and you want to do what is right in the eyes of God and you want to learn what it means to love God more fully so that you can love each other more fully so that you can love yourself more fully. And friends, I'm encouraged by that. I also know that some of us are navigating tremendous guilt and I hesitate to use this word, but shame. Maybe our culture does need a a healthy amount of shame though rather than this no shame culture movement because it's in the shame that we understand the seriousness of the sin and we can receive forgiveness. I also know that at times we spend a lot of time dwelling on what we're doing wrong than focusing on what God is calling us to. I want to invite you over the next five weeks to ask God that difficult question. Every day, search me and try me, O God. See if there be any iniquity within me. Create the space where God can reveal sin to you in your life. Because once it's been revealed, you can experience the freedom that Christ came to give you. You can experience the righteousness that God has given you in the person of Jesus by his blood on the cross. The ultimate forgiveness of sin. But we have to position ourselves before God. Pendula, and we've shared this video before, um, said in an interview about uh, a proselytizer, big fancy word for someone who is handing out tracts or promoting something, his personal promotion, which was faith in Jesus. And Penn said this about um, Christians. How much do you have to hate someone? How much do you have to hate someone to not tell them if you believe that there is a hell about that? Sin is serious. And the only way that sin is dealt with is through Jesus Christ. He is the only solution to the sin problem. Jesus said, greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. The only solution to the sin problem is Jesus. And it requires us dying to ourselves figuratively every day. And inviting the Lord by the power of the Holy Spirit to search us. Don't be so full of pride that you're afraid to enter into the dark with the Lord. He's a really, really good surgeon. Scripture says he's able to sever bone on marrow perfectly. 
He brings healing and forgiveness while exposing. And you'll experience that peace that David longed for and that David ultimately found. Jesus, thank you for your church. Lord, I pray as we dive into the deep water that we would allow your Holy Spirit to lead us one step in front of the other. And God, that we would allow you to purify us from all ungodliness. Lord, not that me as the the priest of this parish petitions you for the, the whole of the church, but that they, the priests, might petition you on their behalf. That we might invite you to reveal what needs to be revealed. So that when we fall down, we might experience the joy of being lifted back up. To the glory of God the Father, through the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, by the communion of the Holy Spirit, we pray, Jesus, as you taught us, our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Church, as children of God, we're able to sing in the confidence that God has given us. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise him all creatures here below. Praise him above ye heavenly host. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Amen.